another informational resource from UK Healthcare. This is UK HealthCast, featuring conversations with our physicians and other healthcare providers. Here's Melanie Cole. The UK Kidney Transplant Program has been a leader in advanced kidney failure since 1964 and has been saving lives ever since. Joining me is Dr. Thomas Wade. He's the medical director of the Kidney and Pancreas Transplant Program with the University of Kentucky Healthcare. Dr. Wade, I'm so glad to have you join us today. First, how common is kidney transplant and how many generally are performed on a yearly basis? Well, there are about uh, 22,000 currently that are being performed per year. Now, that may actually go down this year a little bit because of the COVID experience. On a usual basis, around 22,000. And about 6,800 of those or thereabouts will be living donor kidneys. The rest will be deceased donor kidneys uh, off of a donor list. Well, then tell us a little bit about the University of Kentucky HealthCare's history of kidney transplants. Actually, we were fairly early in the uh, transplantation game. The first kidney transplant was done uh, at the Peter Brent Brigham Hospital uh, in Boston, and that was 1954 through um, identical twins, so no immunosuppression to prevent rejection was necessary. We started in 1964, which was uh, only 10 years later. And as a matter of fact, the University of Minnesota, which is a very large, uh, well-known transplant uh, center, started in 1963. So we actually came along one year after uh, Minnesota had started. And the reason that we started transplanting was actually because of the pediatric nephrologist at the time who really wanted uh, transplantation as an option to take care of her kids with, uh, with renal failure. And so in August of 1964, after we'd put everything together as a, as a program, we did our first kidney transplantation, which was a pediatric recipient, and his uh, donor was the, his mother. I took care of that patient when I got on to uh, kidney transplantation here, and I started, started actually in 1986. And I took care of him for about another 15 uh, or so years until he uh, died of a uh, heart complication that was kind of, you know, late, late in his game. But he had been transplanted for, you know, about almost 30 years at that time. What an interesting story, Dr. Wade. Thank you for sharing that with us. So tell us a little bit about necessitating kidney transplantation and indications for referral to a transplant center. Well, the indications are almost any type of um, kidney failure from just about any cause except for something that might recur in the transplant and would be, uh, you know, prohibitive to do a transplant in that situation. But almost any cause of kidney failure can be uh, evaluated and looked at with the uh, potential treatment of transplantation being, I think, the uh, primary option for treatment of end-stage renal disease. Well, then who qualifies if they get early referral? Speak about patient selection criteria and some general indications because not everyone is a patient that's eligible, correct? Or is that not true? Well, actually, the eligibility criteria have been expanded uh, over the years. When I first you know, started doing this, we were very hesitant to take anybody who was uh, over 60 years old, particularly if they had you know, diabetes, as their cause because of the complications that could be, uh, uh, you know, kind of run into along the way. But now, I mean, we've extended, um, you know, that age out to 
70-year-olds and even beyond that. But if a person is that old, they have to be in pretty good physical shape without uh, too many other problems or comorbidities. I can tell you that the youngest person that we have ever done at, at the University of Kentucky was 13 months old. And I think the oldest person that we have ever transplanted was 75 or 76. So that's a that's a pretty broad range. Well, it certainly is. So now tell us a little bit about living donor versus deceased donor transplant. And what are you seeing in the trends as far as availability, accessibility? Speak about that a little bit. Live donor transplants, generally speaking, are the best modality uh, for transplantation. The kidneys generally have better function. Uh, they usually last for a longer period of time uh, than a deceased donor. Deceased donor uh, kidneys often go through a lot of uh, trauma, ICU stays, changes in blood pressure and things like that before they're retrieved. And sometimes they're of, of really good quality. Sometimes they are not of great uh, quality, but the live donor is, is generally predictable. Plus, with a live donor transplantation, you can actually time the uh, the donation to um, take place before the, the recipient needs to go on dialysis. And this is called a preemptive transplantation. We used to do a preemptive transplantation uh, back in the earlier days when I first started off of the waiting list. But now the waiting list is so long uh, and the wait time for, for transplantation has increased. And so doing preemptive transplant off of, a, uh, uh, off of the waiting list is very, very difficult. Now, having just said that, we've actually done two preemptive transplants off the waiting list this year. But that's unusual uh, in this day and age. Well, then let's talk about the wait list for a minute. What can patients expect once they've been placed on the transplant list? And tell us a little bit about that experience, how waiting time is even calculated at this point, and what's involved in management of patients that are on that wait list. Well, first of all, there are about 110,000 people in the United States waiting for kidney transplantation. And as I said, there are about 22,000 transplants that are being done, including live donors. So that ratio is one in five. And so there are five people waiting for every one kidney that becomes available. So the wait times have increased. Um, as we you know, list older patients, um, you know, for kidney transplantation, et cetera. Uh, the numbers are, uh, are going up, and the numbers of donors are not necessarily uh, increasing in that proportion. So that makes it uh, uh, difficult for some patients who don't have uh, live donors. The patient's waiting time is actually now calculated from the time that they start dialysis. It used to be that it, the waiting time was calculated from the time that the patient was seen in the transplant center, evaluated, deemed to be a candidate for transplant, and then added to the waiting list. And that started their clock, so to speak. But now it's retrospective back to the time that they start uh, any type of modality of uh, dialysis, whether it's hemodialysis or peritoneal dialysis. And so that adds uh, a number of uh, uh, days or years to the uh, listed waiting time. And so it advantages uh, people who have been on dialysis for a longer period of time. And I think you know a, a lot of that is rightfully so because when you're on dialysis, you start accumulating cardiovascular risk 
And with the cardiovascular risk, you know, comes life-shortening, uh, life-terminating problems that occur. Uh, for example, if you are on uh, hemodialysis, your chance of having a cardiovascular event is 9.9% per year. If you're transplanted, it's 0.9% per year. So there's a tenfold advantage in terms of reducing cardiovascular risk if you're transplanted versus staying on dialysis. That's fascinating, Dr. Wade. So tell other providers what the process looks like. If they are referring patients to your transplant center, what does that process look like and what makes this program so unique and outstanding? Well, from the time that the patient is referred uh, by their provider, and actually the patient can even self-refer if they want to. That's usually not the case. But um, the time that they are referred, they uh, come in to see us, and we try and make the evaluation uh, as inclusive as possible in, in one day of the patient's time. So they come in, and they will be seen by the transplant nurse coordinator, one of the nephrologists, one of the surgeons, the dietitian, and they'll even have pharmacy consultation with regard to their, uh, to their medications. We explain to the patient what the risks and benefits are uh, because this is all a process of informed consent. We tell them about you know, the quality of, of kidneys, uh, what is available, and uh, you know what they would like to accept in, ter- in terms of a kidney versus uh, possibly kidneys that they might want to turn down because it's the patient's right to do so. Uh, we find out if they have a live donor option, and if they do, we basically evaluate them for uh, living donation, both related and unrelated. So from you know from that standpoint, that's the uh, process in a nutshell. And then we see them in our committee, and all of the patients, uh, you know, by regulation, uh, have to be discussed by a, a multidisciplinary uh, committee and uh, either decide to list them or not to list them. And that decision has to be made and the uh, patient has to be informed within a 10-day period of time. Uh, That's a regulation which is put out by the United Network for Organ Sharing. And uh, that's, you know, what basically we adhere to. As we look towards the future, Dr. Wade, tell us about the future of kidney transplantation what you see on the horizon as as we know this is determined by several issues the ongoing shortage as you mentioned of donor organs and it's fueled this search for alternative therapies for failing kidneys tell us some of the exciting research that you know about that you're doing tell us what you see happening i think a lot of the research that's going on right now is to uh, try and extend the life of transplants as much as possible because uh, a lot of people have to go through several transplants in their lifetime. And what we would like to see are transplants, kidney transplants that last sort of, say, 10 or 15 years. They last uh, 25, 30, 40 years, or the, the life of the, uh, of the patient with a single-organ transplant. There is more work looking into suppressing the immune system to allow that to happen. One of the things that we are looking at here are what are called regulatory T-cells, which uh, suppress rejection and uh, allow the uh, kidney transplant, or any transplant for that matter, 
to persist for a longer period of time. It may also allow us to minimize or even in some cases stop immunosuppression medications, which have their side effects of malignancy types of cancers and also infection. That is a uh, goal of ours and uh, an aspiration. And hopefully within the next five or six years, we will have that, you know, moving uh, down the line uh, to try and change the, uh, the course of the transplant. There are uh, other centers which are working on genetically engineering organs from animals, in this particular case, what we call miniature swine. They're not so miniature. They're about 250 pounds uh, apiece on average, but their organ size is very similar to human organ size. And there are a lot of barriers to be overcome with that in terms of rejection and also um, uh, infections that animals have that we don't necessarily have. But with gene editing, what we call the, uh, the uh, CRISPR-Cas system, we can edit out some of the um, impurities or the viruses that are incorporated in their cells and uh, make them uh, suitable for possible donation in the future. Some people say that this is called xenotransplantation and it's the future of transplantation and always will be. But, you know, every year we chip away a little more and, and get closer to that. So in our particular facility, though, the regulatory T-cells are a major project of ours. We have a study ongoing right now, one of the few in the country, and I think that uh, this is going to be our you know, forte in the future. Such an interesting topic and a really exciting time to be in your field, Dr. Wade. Thank you so much for joining us today and sharing your incredible expertise and telling us about the University of Kentucky Healthcare Kidney and Pancreas Transplant Program. For more information on the University of Kentucky Healthcare Kidney and Pancreas Transplant Program, please visit our website at ukhealthcare.uky.edu for more information and to get connected with one of our providers. That concludes another episode of UK HealthCast. I'm Melanie Cole.